When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Hot Routes. Matthew Collar here along with Jonathan Harrison. And uh, we are continuing our countdown of training camp previews going position by position. And here's the thing about that. There is no actual order. It is just based on what position I feel like talking about that day with whatever guest that I have or whoever is co-hosting, in this case, Jonathan. So I decided that receivers would be the most fun for hot routes because I thought I could come up with some fun wide receiver related questions. And that's really the only reason why. So if you missed the episode with Andrew Kramer talking about safeties, some really, really good insight from Andrew that's done. Uh, he's done some reporting about Lewis scene, talked with Durante Jones about you know, the safety position and how it fits into Brian Flores' defense. So if you missed that episode, go back and find it. Andrew was really, really insightful there. But uh, it is time to talk some receivers. Jonathan, are you ready? I'm as ready as you can be. I love the receiver position and I'm ready to dive into the training camp preview of it. So here's something that I didn't ask you to prep on, but I feel like you're just always prepared for a question such as this one. Uh, Justin Jefferson is a 99 rated on Madden. Now I have not played a heck of a lot of Madden over the last uh, seven to 12 years. Um, But From, I would say, about 1997 through 2008, uh, it was a major part of my life. So that's a huge Mm -hmm. chunk. Who was your favorite wide receiver on Madden to throw to? I know it's off guard, no prep, but there's a lot of great ones that you could use over the years. Who was your favorite? I mean, the easy one's Randy Moss, just because he was always he was 99 and pretty much in every single category and you could just literally just throw it up to him and he'd jump and catch the ball because he had the best jumping rating. He had the best catching rating, had the best speed rating. He was incredible. He was easy to throw to, uh, outside of him though. Uh, I would probably have to go back to way back in the day, the greatest show on turf. When I, when I loved that Rams team thrown to top Tory Holtz and Isaac Bruce, Marshall Falk out of the backfield as well, uh, thrown to those guys and just, uh, getting run over by Mike Allstott on the defensive side. But yeah, it was uh, probably probably those selections of guys were my favorites that I can think of off the top of my head. I'll give you two. One of them actually comes from that team, but he was the guy that was less noted, Oz Zahir yep. Hakim, because he was 99 speed. Yep. So whatever team I was playing for, I was getting Oz Zahir Hakim. Also, Antoine Randall L. When I played a long season, and I had two of them from Madden 04 that went like 12 seasons. This was my senior year in high school, and I was doing nothing except for play video games. Party with your classmates? Uh, have one last great summer with them? No. 
play Madden 04 because it was the freaking goat. That's what I did. <laughs> Antoine, Ra- yeah, Antoine Randall L was absolutely incredible. And I forget if that was one where you could put position players at quarterback. There's some Maddens you can, some you can't. But I think that I may have put Antoine Randall L at quarterback. They had, I mean, Plaxico Burris was a good one, but. I, I mean, anytime you could just run that deep out, like that deep post to the corner, I mean, you just, you, you had to do it with whoever you were using in Madden. But those, those were some of those were some of my favorites that way back in the day, I put up huge numbers with, and then I did a season with, uh, gosh, who was it on a recent Madden, maybe it was like Madden 18 or something like that where I was the Dolphins and it was the Ryan Fitzpatrick year. So I forget what year that was, maybe 2020. And I know that Devontae Parker has not turned out to be a great receiver, but for whatever reason on that game, he is really highly rated. And I threw like 176 passes to Devontae <laughs> Parker with Ryan Fitzpatrick. And of course took the Dolphins to the Super Bowl yeah, uh, with Fitzmagic. Right. As one does, as one does. So congratulations uh, to Justin Jefferson on, on being the 99. But I, th- I like to find the guy who's vastly overrated and give him the most ridiculous season ever. I had something similar a couple of years ago on Madden because everybody knows uh, I have this uh, affinity for the Raiders uh, being born in Las Vegas. Now they're in Las Vegas. A couple of years ago, I was playing as the Raiders just because, and Zay Jones, I know he's not the greatest wide receiver on the planet, but I made that guy have a hundred catches over a thousand yards, over 1500 yards receiving and plenty of touchdowns to go with it. Just because I wanted to throw out one guy and one guy only and I got him to the Super Bowl doing just that for some reason with Zay Jones is the guy I picked out on that offense a couple years ago. So I used to play a lot of video games way back with uh, my brother who liked the Raiders as well. And he played with Napoleon Kaufman and John Jett, who were both like 95 rated speed on Madden because it used to the, the uh, Super Nintendo games were just by fives. So it was like a guy would have like, I think a 95, I don't know if the guys had hundreds, but you could have 95. So they were the two fastest players pretty much on the game. And he would just use them every time and throw to John Jett, who was a good receiver, but not like any sort of great one. But if you just find a guy with that sort of speed, uh, mostly they catch the ball. The one thing I bemoan about Madden is that if you go back to like way back in the day, but even Madden 04 is like this, there's a lot of badly rated players who are not good players. So you'd have guys that were a 50, a 60, that were starting players. They just weren't that good, which is the reality of the National Football League. Now you can be a practice squad dude and be rated like a 74 on Madden. And it just doesn't make any sense to me. I think that they did it because they got tired of people saying that they were being hated on. Of players tweeting out their grades or ratings or whatever and going like, oh, they're just hating. And so they just wanted to be more like positive, like, oh, at least you're 74 or something. It doesn't sound as bad. But the gap between the best and worst players used to be so enormous on the game that if you just got a couple of great players on your team, you could dominate. So anyway, yeah, there used to be um, guys with fifties and you're like, Oh man, I don't need this guy on my roster, but I need to fill out the roster and there's no one else on free agency that I can afford. So you just have to have a guy with a 50 on there. Now they don't have that anymore. I would always go into free agency and build a whole team off of it. That yep. was, that was one of the challenges to do, like try to make an expansion team for yourself by cutting every player you could, and then just <laughs> signing all of the free agents. Uh, but you know, good, good times with Madden from uh, back in the day, there are so many different ways to hack it. Like, of course, everyone had to make a seven foot nine player that was 400 pounds and make him 99 speed and, and 
and so forth. And still mm-hmm. not as unstoppable as Justin Jefferson, weirdly. But yeah, I, I think that um, the, the Madden grade, though, is always a sign that the offseason is really coming to an end because, because when we see those tweeted out and we see the arguments and debates, oh, this, this guy deserves it. And then when players inevitably tweet out, oh, Madden, you're being too hard on me. I deserve this grade or that grade. Okay, it's time for football. We've officially exhausted every <laughs> offseason thing. And that is where we are at in our lives right now, uh, Jonathan. And I want to start off in our training camp preview of wide receivers with uh, do, looking to start hot routes with Justin Jefferson. He has had actually kind of a interesting offseason in a way. I mean, he skipped out on OTAs. He showed up at minicamp. He does not have a contract yet. Uh, he ranked his top five quarterbacks and didn't include Kirk. Um, he was ranked somehow seventh by an executive and Jeremy Fowler's executive rankings piece, which is um, the Eagles doing it because they're mad. They didn't draft him. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, there, I think there actually are a couple of questions going into training camp about Justin Jefferson. The biggest one is obviously the contract situation. Would you bet that Justin Jefferson gets a contract done, an extension with the Vikings by the end of camp. Cause clearly he will dominate camp. He will be good at football. There's not really any debates over it. And even last year, he said he wanted to be the best receiver in the league by the end of last year. And whoop, he was. Uh, so this is really the, the top storyline for camp almost is whether he's going to get an extension done. Would you make the bet that he does or not? I think he does. I I think I'm leaning more that he does. I know we haven't heard a whole lot of it lately, but it just feels like with how this organization has operated in the past, and I know new regimes, so things work a little bit differently, but with how the Vikings have operated in the past under the Wills, there's always that one, that one, those one or two contracts that get done right before training camp. So there's this little bit of buzz about, about the Vikings going into camp that, uh, yes, we got one of our key players signed and, now come see him at, at camp, pay tickets to go see us practice. And uh, now that we got this big guy signed. And I think that Justin Jefferson might be that signing this year to give Vikings fans even more uh, excitement going into camp, knowing that they'll have him locked up. And it just feels like they don't want to go into the fifth year with him not under contract. They want to get him locked up before that, before any kind of thing can happen where he's going to hold out or demand out of here. He's going to, they want him locked up because Kwesi Adafo says he doesn't want to be the GM of this team without him. And we saw how good he was in Kevin O'Connell's offense last year. It just feels like everything kind of is pushing towards Justin Jefferson signing a contract extension, setting the new market for non-quarterback players uh, in his, in the amount that he gets. I don't think it's going to be the, be a five-year deal. I think as we talked about what, a couple months ago at this point, it's probably going to be a three-year deal, but it's still going to be, a mass amount of money that he's going to get right before training camp. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned what Quasey said. And I, I do think that one thing Quasey should probably do in the future as things get, you know, a little dicey at times is not be hyperbolic. Like don't try to use descriptive language, very intelligent guy. He has uh, great ways of funny ways of putting things and stuff like that to get his point across. But maybe under circumstances such as that one, he should just say, Justin's an incredibly important player to us and we are going to do whatever we can to make sure he's a Viking for a long time. Because when you have those kind of cute little comments, they will get thrown back in your face if something goes wrong. And uh, anyway, just, just uh, something to put in the, in the bank 
for later that there will be a time where he says something like that that ends up getting yes. tossed back at him. So uh, with Jefferson, though, I would make the bet, but I would not make it that it is done by the start of camp. Uh, I am golfing on Friday and I do not need that. I don't need to be <laughs> golfing when that happens. That's why. No, uh, in reality, I just think it's too complicated. I, I think that there is something that's sort of simple about this deal, which is everyone knows that Justin Jefferson is going to be the highest paid receiver in terms of average annual value. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows he deserves that. And everyone knows that the Vikings don't really have a lot of leverage here, aside from to say, hey, Justin, this is a lot of money that you can have right now in your pocket and that you can buy things with. So here, have it and buy things. Um, that's what the Vikings have is you can have it now. You don't have to play any games. You don't have to wait. Uh, you don't have to get franchise tag. You don't have to get fifth year. Well, he's, he's on the fifth year option for next year. That's already been picked up, but you don't have to play on it if we extend you. So that would be good for you, right? Uh, so that that, But that's really all they have. I mean, he has the numbers that show that he is history's, one of history's greatest wide receivers through three years of his career. He is young. He is healthy. He is a really shining example of what a superstar is in public. Uh, you know, I think that the way he's handled superstardom is extremely impressive. I think that he came into the league believing that he was going to be a superstar to the point where it never surprised him at all. And somebody who lives in new Orleans told me uh, that knows Jefferson, that he was a, 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 like a huge, huge celebrity already because of LSU, because LSU is so huge there that he was used to that sort of celebrity status when he got to the NFL and he's really represented it extremely well. There is nothing to have as a demerit for Justin Jefferson. He just deserves everything that, that they can give him. Uh, and really the team is, is negotiating from a tough spot at that point because it's like whatever he wants, you kind of have to give him if you want to keep him or he can let it play out. And he does have the health record. He does have the age that if he wanted to just keep playing year to year, he could. I, I don't think it's good for anybody for that to happen. It's much better for them to get it worked out. It's just that there are going to be things, how much guaranteed money? There's a difference between guaranteed for injury and just guaranteed overall. The years that you mentioned, it could be a huge sticking point. The Vikings like to do contracts a certain way. And if they go a different way with one player than how they've done in the past, then other agents are going to say, well, you know, you did make that exception for this guy. And, you know, what about our guy doing it the same way and that kind of thing? And there's all these considerations to be made in a complex contract like this. So the fundamentals of it are basic, but the details might have some sticking points between both sides. But I think that there is so much incentive for them to get it done that they will continue to hash this out between his side and the Vikings front office until they get it worked out before training camp. If they don't, though, how's it going to feel, Jonathan, if they don't? Um, I mean, they've still got the fifth year option. They've still got, uh, the franchise tags that they can, they can put on him. So I'm not, I wouldn't be too concerned. Uh, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago. I wouldn't be too concerned that they couldn't find a way to get a deal done because there's still time. There's still plenty of, of things that they can do to keep him here in Minnesota before they have to find a way to either just give him all the money that the NFL allows him 
allows them to do or find a trade partner and get a whole ton of draft picks for him. So I wouldn't be too concerned if they get out of camp, if they break camp and he still doesn't have a deal. Uh, if we get into uh, post-draft next year and we're still talking about when's the Justin Jefferson contract uh, coming, then I'll be concerned. But right now, I don't think I'd be too concerned uh, going into the season without a new contract for Justin Jefferson. Yeah, I mean, I think that it would be a little bit of a disappointment. I mean, for, I guess, uh, both sides, really, because I'm sure that they both want to get it done and there's likely more pressure on the Vikings. And the negative effect is just that it turns up the heat. And all of a sudden, every single week that they go into, it's, well, you know, Jefferson didn't get a contract extension done this offseason and and so forth and so forth. And he would not be at all the last superstar player to not sign it the minute he's able to and go into that last year. It is favorable for the salary cap to be able to sign it as soon as possible. So there is that. It doesn't have to be panic meter, but right now your panic meter about this thing would be at like, one there's no reason to panic at all right now and you know he didn't show up for otas all right maybe send a little message according to him he was doing other stuff so i like i don't know (laughs) all right that's fine you do whatever you want to do if you want to go take a caribbean vacation while everyone else is at otas that's fine with me uh i don't think that was um maybe the best thing i guess for for the team overall, but not something that I would make a big deal out of uh, him doing that. I think uh, Kevin O'Connell was pretty irritated, at least by the way he talked. And he was kind of like, yeah, we want Justin here kind of thing. His teammates are excited to see him, he said. So, you know, there is always pressure to show up for OTAs, but it is voluntary. Um, you can't make too much of that. But if you don't get it done, you lose some of that advantage salary cap wise of spreading it out into two years instead of one. There is that. And then the panic meter kind of goes like to three of, okay, well, this is going to linger. And then it's going to linger into next off season. And then it's going to linger into, like you said, does it go into the final year? Because then if you don't get it done, it is panic meter level, like, you know, midnight or whatever. So (laughs) um, for office fans, uh, so that that's how I would look at it is things like this do take a lot of time. um, But there's no reason to go crazy anytime soon. It's just maybe raise an eyebrow if they don't get it done. Like, can you see the eyebrow going up over the sunglasses? Uh, that's yeah, that's what I, that's what I would do if it doesn't get done by the beginning of camp, because usually if these contracts don't get done by camp, I'm sorry, by the end of camp, then it means that it's not getting done during the regular season. And then it reminds me a little bit of the quarterback situation in the way that, like if you don't address it with drafting, say, Will Levis, then you are really forced to draft somebody next year. If you don't do it now, you are really forced and pressured to get it done because you do not want him playing on that fifth-year option and then have to franchise tag him. And then we get into a Lamar mm-hmm. situation that starts to get pretty ugly. And what happens, too, is the cap implications get worse and the price just keeps going up. Right now, even if you make him the highest paid receiver, two years from now, it'll feel like a, a less impactful deal as the salary cap goes up and other guys get paid. So there's a, a huge incentive to, to sign your players. Now, here's my other Justin Jefferson question for you, Jonathan, is, is, is there any other possible storyline regarding Justin Jefferson in camp? I mean, we're going to write feature stories on Jefferson, different angles, conversations with him, stuff like that. Try to be a little creative and fun with Jefferson and his excellence. But 
Is there anything that could happen, say for an injury, like, I don't know, year two in the offense or quotes that he has or whatever that could be a Justin Jefferson camp storyline? Well, as long as this contract situation goes on, he's most likely going to be asked about it whenever he does step in front of the media. So those will be interesting to see how he handles that, how Kevin O'Connell handles that, how the rest of the team handles that, because I'm sure as this thing plays on, questions will be asked of Kirk Cousins or other wide receivers or other offense members of what it of what it means to them. And so it'll it'll be interesting from that standpoint. But I'm also interested. Uh, he's one of two, I think, or one of three wide receivers in NFL history to hit to eclipse 1600 yards in consecutive seasons. I want to see how he does following that because the other two Calvin Johnson and Antonio Brown obviously didn't eclipse 1600 yards. Can he do it again? Oh, and I guess this is more, I guess this, that would affect uh, storylines going into the following season, but how does, how does he, what are the expectations across the NFL for him coming off of what may not be obviously an 1800 yard season? What do people think of him then when he doesn't hit, when he doesn't continue to progress like he has the past three seasons in getting more yards, getting more receptions, getting more touchdowns. What do, what are expectations then uh, after his numbers probably drop a little bit comparative to last season? Yeah. Historically, this has worked this way for everyone who has an all-time great season that (laughs) doing it the next year, I was listening to something Chris Johnson, the running back was saying about running backs and, and their value and so forth today. And so I pulled up his pro football reference page as one does. And I I noticed, you know, he ran for 2000 yards that one year and the next year he had a great season and it was like 1300 and that does happen. So, I, I mean, will Jefferson continue to stay at this historic pace or will there be some regression because there always has been from receivers who have had 1700 yards or more is a storyline for the season, but I don't know if we're going to get any indication of that at training camp. More likely than not, he's going to play a fairly limited amount of reps would be my guess. And the reps that he plays in training camp will be breathtaking. And then he won't play in the preseason games. And then football happens. The only way there can be a Justin Jefferson storyline is if he says at some point, I mean, what are the Vikings doing not signing me? But I just can't see him being that way. I I think he is going to be a good soldier when it comes to this and will just say, I'm going to leave it to my agent. I'm out here to play and and so forth, which is the exact way he should do it and not try to make any public statements. If he wanted to, he can. He has that level of celebrity, but he Mm kind of never pulls that card. He never pulls that card with us. And we talk to him every single week and there's never the – I'm not answering your question. Next question or anything like that ever in his career. He won our media good guy one year. Um, But I also think that he is smart enough to know that making any sort of statements that give indications about the contract could make things more tense than they need to be. So my guess is that there's nothing there. The only other thing I would say is that if just people talk about what it's like in the second year of this offense, because last year's training camp was a struggle at times, even for Justin Jefferson. And he was marvelous. I mean, go back and look at our tweets and look at our articles. Of course he was tremendous, but him and Adam Thielen talked quite a bit about how difficult it was in year one of that offense. And so now is there a a better comfort? And the only way to know is really just Justin Jefferson telling us like how Mm -hmm. that works, being specific about it. And then even at that point, do we really know 
Can we buy into that as the truth that it's going to be a little bit better out of the gate um, and, and, and like more at ease with the system or if that's not going to matter. But aside from that, I can't come up with anything that would be a Jefferson storyline aside from we're all just wondering what's going on with the contract. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of where I was when I was reading the question and trying to come up with an answer for is that based off how he's handled his professional career so far through these first three years and how we've seen him do things week in and week out, it doesn't feel like he's going to rock the boat too much. He's not going to come up. He's not going to create storylines and be a distraction other than the fact that the Vikings just haven't offered him all of the monies yet. So it's, it's not really on him at this point to, to get out or to, to offer the contract. That's the Vikings, but it's, it's, I don't think it's going to be anything that he does in camp other. Yeah. It just doesn't feel like anything he's going to do in camp is going to be noteworthy or newsworthy and cause a distraction throughout camp. So that was, it was probably one of the tougher questions you asked because there's just really not nothing in his past that shows that he's going to be, that he's going to cause a distraction. Uh, it's not, it's not a hot take for hot routes, but you're not the one with the sunglasses. So uh, you can say that uh, Matthew says is the last thing he has to prove is that he can continue to por- perform at this level while getting all of the defensive attention as an elite receiver. I think that there's like a yes and no to that. Um, Last year, there seemed to be toward the end of the season, a bit of a blueprint about how teams went about stopping Justin Jefferson. And we saw that from the Giants in the playoff game. We saw that from the Packers in turf gate game or whatever cleat gate game uh, where Jefferson decided he was going to wear his own cleats and not the suggested by the team, which seemed to really make Kevin O'Connell unhappy. Uh, But when we're three years into this, I think that most teams game plans every week for about two and a half of those years has been to stop Justin <laughs> Jefferson. And there has been no way to actually yeah. stop Justin Jefferson consistently at any point. But I think that what you're asking is uh, the difference between Jefferson being really, really good and a, and a great football player and, you know, maybe a, a hall of fame level even and an all-time great is doing this year after year. It's not, okay, that season was 1,800, this next season's 1,100, and so forth. It's, no, no, it's 1,800, 1,700, 1,600, year after year after year, which, uh, you know, would put him on a completely different plane from everybody else. And it's not ridiculous to talk about Justin Jefferson through an all-time lens, even as early as it is in his career, because that's what the numbers say. And also the eye test uh, has been pretty clear about how great Justin Jefferson is. Um, So, yeah, I I mean, I, I think I get your point where it's like, is it going to be just really, really good? Or is it going to be all time like Randy Moss, Jerry Rice, year after year after year? Great. And um, it is yet to be seen. I mean, you can never really guarantee because there have been receivers throughout history who did have somewhat short runs. But there's nothing within Justin Jefferson that can be foreseen right now that would indicate that there's going to be any sort of fall off. The only thing is, like you mentioned, will teams just put so much attention on him And I think that's actually okay for the rest of the offense because they have some guys who can make them pay. Maybe uh, Jordan Addison could be that guy or TJ Hawkinson. But numbers-wise, that's another thing too. How we judge receivers sometimes is so much based on their fantasy stats that someone can have an amazing season and have 1,200 yards and play actually better than when they had 1,500. 
because that's just how football works. Real football, not just fantasy football. Um, okay. Let me, uh, let me move on here. Um, <laughs> see, this is what I mean about like fantasy football versus real football. JJ needs to step up his touchdowns. Like, well, I mean, no, not really. I mean, he, he like for fantasy purposes. Yes. I bet his fantasy owners really want him to step up his touchdowns, but in the context of the entire offense, uh, if they're paying a ton of attention to Justin Jefferson and TJ Hawkinson is catching a touchdown or Madison is running it in, doesn't matter to me who's scoring the touchdown. And when you look back at the tape and you know, I've done this, Jonathan, all 22, every single week, uh, you see in the red zone, oh my gosh, they are putting so much attention on mm -hmm. him. And the one year it was Thielen and last year it got spread out. So I think that that sort of tells you that gap between the fantasy stats and what they tell us versus a little bit of a deeper look um, to how good he's actually playing. So if he, if he catches seven passes for 60 yards, but the opposing defense put three guys on him and Hawkinson ends up with 120 yards and has a great game. I mean, that's pretty good for your offense still. So it'll be complicated. I think is what I'm saying to evaluate his numbers and what they mean versus his performance. Uh, but we have other receiver stuff to talk about. KJ Osborne v Jordan Addison is an interesting discussion. Uh, people know by now where I kind of stand on this, that I think Osborne will end up with more catches than Addison this season as of, you know, July making this prediction. Uh, here's a question though. Should Jordan Addison play in preseason games? Because you know, they did not play their starters in preseason games. Um, oh, and Sarah says that people argue Justin Jefferson is not that great because he doesn't score touchdowns. I don't know who's on Justin Jefferson. I mean, here's the thing. If you are on social media, I can always tell. I can always tell <laughs> when someone has seen these things on social media. And that's not a criticism. Like we're all on social media a lot. Yeah. But be if you're running into people say this about my favorite player, you're like who? Like Eagles fans? Sociopaths? Fake accounts? Who? Who? I mean, I don't think any reasonable person thinks that Justin Jefferson is not the number one receiver in the league because he doesn't catch enough touchdowns. They used to say that about Julio Jones too. It was just silly. It was, it was just hating, just some yeah. good old fashioned hating. And you let it get to you, Sarah. Don't let the hating get to you. That's my <laughs> advice. Uh, so anyway, uh, do you think Jordan Addison should play in preseason games? I think absolutely he should. I mean, you're still, you're, he, it's not like he was a top 10 pick. He was, 24th 23rd or whatever it was I you want to see what you have in him and you because of what happened in OTAs you didn't really get to see it you got to see uh him in rookie minicamp I would want to see more from him and see how he stacks up against KJ Osborne now you're not going to have the the legit or the elite passer or the actual quarterback throwing to him so it's going to skew things a little bit uh because it's not going to be Kirk Cousins throwing to him it's most likely going to be Nick Mullins uh, throwing to him. So it's going to be a little bit difficult to kind of judge what you have there, but you'd like to see in a game atmosphere, what he can bring before you get to the season. I, from my perspective, I would absolutely play him just because I want to see what he, what he's made of and what he can do on an actual NFL football field as opposed to college, because we know the level is vastly different between those two. We saw how much Lewis seen struggled uh, to adapt to the NFL. I want to see, that if if Jordan Addison can do that, if he can translate what he did in college to the NFL, and the first way to do it, the earliest way to do it, is in those preseason games. And I, w I, would, I know Kevin O'Connell is hesitant to play and doesn't play the starters for very good reasons. It showed last year uh, why he doesn't play those guys. 
but Jordan Addison isn't a starter yet. He's most likely the third wide receiver behind KJ Osborne. I want to give him reps at the NFL level and see what he can do. I'm uh, on the fence. I am the most anti-play anyone in preseason games person. Yeah, I mentioned that at one point to Kevin O'Connell. I was like, I've been like banging this drum for about five years before you got here. So thank you. Uh, you know, <laughs> along with, Hey, along with drafting a receiver, if I stay on one take for long enough, it'll come to fruition. Like, <laughs> Hey, eventually they're going to draft this quarterback and have the rookie quarterback contract. And I'm going to be like seven years of work, baby. Like, <laughs> I finally got, I finally got them preseason games where they're playing just the scrubs. I finally got the receiver in the first round and I will have my first round quarterback. Uh, I will continue to push until it happens. But um, with Addison specifically, the one thing you really, really do not want is for his season to be set back by an injury. It's already been set back a little bit in OTAs and minicamp. I don't think that's crushing by any means. But if it is set back in preseason by an injury and he's out for a couple of weeks or it's nagging throughout a season, I think we saw from Kirk Cousins that you know, injury reports don't always tell you what hurts. They tell you who didn't practice or who was limited in practice, but there are injuries sometimes that slow down a player and what they can produce in a season. And that's not where I'd like to see him be. And it does take me back a little bit to uh, uh, Sammy Watkins. When I was in Buffalo, he injured his ribs, I think in the first preseason game and in the fourth preseason game, Doug Marone decided to play him and he re-injured his ribs. And we're just like, what? I remember going on the air saying, I have zero confidence in this head coach. If you put Sammy Watkins back on the field and he gets hurt again. And that's exactly what happened. I think this happened to Cam Newton once too, in the preseason, the number of preseason injuries that have ruined seasons because players who shouldn't have been out there were playing in the past is preposterous. And finally teams have figured that out. So Uh, I think that from that perspective, you don't want to see Jordan Addison out there. He is going to get a ton of work against other teams because they're going to have two different teams come in here and do joint practices to ramp up the intensity. And uh, Sarah, I totally agree that, um, you know, that's why Kevin O'Connell, she said, scared of a starter having a season ending injury in preseason games. Um, and that's what happened with uh, Irv Smith Jr. a couple of years ago. And it really set back kind of his career. Maybe he would have got injured another time and maybe it was a ticking time bomb or something. But to lose him in a preseason game, was ju- it just felt senseless. Like, why was he out there uh, at that point? So O'Connell has been very wise in the way that he's handled this. And I just think that that's the toughest decision is, is Jordan Addison. Because like you said, Jonathan, I think you make a very strong case. He has not played in the NFL before. He is going to have a large adjustment because of not just the complexity of offenses like every rookie, but because of his size and Mm -hmm. getting him a look at real game action in the stadium against players that are NFL size and speed, even if they're not the starters, they're on a 90 man roster for a reason. And usually teams will play some at least second teamers in, in the preseason. So you get a look at at least NFL backups and, and get to run some routes against them. I think that they will, but I also could see it being kind of a barometer for where he stands. If he's playing a lot in the preseason, I'm going to have some questions. Mm -hmm. If he's playing a little bit, then I get it. All right, good. You get his feet wet. You go from here. It's all good. And, uh, you know, just hope he doesn't get hurt or something. If he's out there in like the second quarter, the third quarter, like we saw from Lewis then 
I don't know. Then, then we're going to start wondering, like, where does he stand in this offense? Or do they think he needs like a lot of extra reps to get up to speed where he's going to be able to play? And so I'm going to have questions, but it'll be worth studying. And I think if he's not playing, then it's a great sign. Like, go on, they are so happy with where this guy has come along that they're not even playing a rookie. I mean, that, that, would, that would be good yeah. for them. I think that it will act as a nice barometer for where he stands. I've got a question for you. If, if he's playing into the third quarter of some of these preseason games, how high is your panic meter about this front office's ability to draft? Because that'll be two drafts in a row. And I know it'll just be preseason for the second draft, but that'll be two drafts in a row where there's certain questions about the first and basically all the picks. Uh, how high would your panic meter be if he is, if they're keeping him out there into the third quarter, some of these preseason games. Okay. This is actually funny comment first. Thor says, don't play him in the first two games and see if we strike lightning again. <laughs> Jefferson did play in those games, by the way, he just yeah. was the slot receiver uh, in those first two games, but that's funny. I get what you're saying. And also Matthew asks, I uh, wonder if Lewis Seen's injury affects uh, KOC's outlook on Addison playing preseason games, but if he does play, it probably means he's behind KJ. I think I agree with that part about if he's playing, he's behind KJ, but I'm not really sure. I'm, if he's not playing and it's not for injury reasons, that's a great thing. Uh, mm -hmm. That means they are very confident in where he stands. He's crushing it and he's good to go. But I don't think that it necessarily means if he is playing because he is a rookie. And I think KOC played all the rookies last year in uh, preseason games. So if he if he's playing, I, I don't know that that's a clear indicator that he's behind just because he's out there. I think it depends on how far he is playing. I would not have any panic meter whatsoever about their ability to draft if he is not right away ready to be a superstar because a lot of times in the NFL, it does take a year. It does yeah. take into the second year. There have been a lot of receivers who have stepped up right away. Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, those were better prospects than Jordan Addison. They, you know, came from Ohio state and they, you know, part of dominant passing offenses. They were drafted much higher than he was. It's a little bit of a different sort of thing. And it's been a mixed bag of receivers in their first year where sometimes you see them catch 30 passes and then become a star the following season. Um, so I, I wouldn't do any panic metering until we're like halfway through the season and we see where this whole thing fits. And even then I have a lot of leeway for rookies in general. I haven't decided yet that Lewis seen is, is far behind or is a bust, you know, because I just think rookie years are so hard. Now, if Lewis seen, for example, or Brian Asamoa or whoever doesn't come out of this camp as the starters, then you start to ask the question. Uh, it is a little bit difficult to have a hot routes, hot take when you're talking about you know, a first round draft pick that you want to have opinions on <laughs> uh, rather than just, well, let's be patient with them. So we're kind of going to be evaluating it consistently of what's going on, but I don't want to overreact to any small things. They're like, uh Oh, this is bad folks. It's only bad if Jalen Naylor is playing over him and then it's bad that I, yeah. then if he's not on the field with the first team, then you got to start asking, okay, what's going on here? Cause usually first round receivers should be out there. Um, other question about this. What would it take for him to beat out Osborne out of camp? Not eventually, but out of camp. Uh, I'm trying to think back of what Justin Jefferson's camp looked like. Obviously 
that's a whole different bar to be set on a wide receiver is uh, have the same same start that Justin Jefferson had, but, and, and Jefferson had a weird camp cause it was uh, truncated because of COVID. So yeah. he would have, I'm sure won that job outright. If he had a full camp, just wanted to add that. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I think he would act, he would have to pick up this offense better than you would expect better than someone like uh, Amir Smith Marset did uh, or was, was unable to, you'd want to see him pick up the offense and just start taking first team reps uh, as quick as possible. That that's what would set him over KJ Osborne right away. Obviously, you want to see him succeed because he's first round pick. But if he's able to do that, if he's able to start taking away first team reps uh, from some of these other guys, then he's going to get. Then I think he would come out of camp uh, as that number two wide receiver in this offense. Yeah, I think that if he's every day getting more targets than yeah. uh, Osborne, it's going to be a hint that maybe he is coming out of training camp uh, as wide receiver two. I'm not sure there's any better way than that to tell because I mean, even training camp targets don't really tell you what the offensive game plan is going to be. And the thing about the Vikings offensive game plan, I talked to KJ Osborne about this, uh, that, you know, when you have Justin Jefferson, it's kind of your day, one week, your day, another week, like think about it, like the Chicago bulls with Michael Jordan, Mm -hmm. it's always Michael Jordan time, but it's also tonight is Steve Kerr night and tonight is Tony Kukoc night and tonight is Scotty Pippen night. It's not, it, it's not always going to be another guy. And that was really what happened with Osborne uh, last year where in the first half of the season, he just wasn't the, the secondary option very often. And then uh, in the second half of the year, did I say the second half? first half of the year, he wasn't the secondary mm-hmm. option. The second half of the year he was, and then you saw his numbers jump up. And Osborne contended that he was doing everything he was supposed to do. It's just that Jefferson was having a historic start to the season. So he wasn't getting as many targets. And there's probably a lot of truth to that. And that makes it even difficult during training camp to kind of figure, all right, where does everybody sit? And since they play so much uh, 11 personnel, and I expect them to still continue to play that, I would usually think that it's going to be Osborne and Addison on the field a lot at the same time and not be able to tell, okay, clearly he's the one or two. uh, And Addison's going to be mostly a slot. So, you know, there's not like usage that you're going to be able to figure this out either. So I'm not really sure. I I think we'll be able to tell if he's behind, but we won't be able to tell uh, very well if he's ahead. Uh, I got a couple more things to, to talk about here with wide receivers, Jonathan. One is I went to uh chat AI and I asked it, uh, which, uh, who was going to be the surprise breakout receiver for the Vikings in training camp? And it said Jalen Naylor, which makes sense. Blake Prohl, which makes less sense. And Amir Smith-Marset, who isn't on the team. So I then informed the guy that Smith-Marset isn't on the team. And the funny thing was, it said, you're correct. And I'm like, I know I'm correct. Why did you say, like, you know that you're a supercomputer anyway. So after I told it, Smith Marset wasn't on the team, it said Thayer Thomas, Lucky Jackson and Cephas Johnson are going to be the surprise breakout wide receivers. Those are uh, decent picks. I guess I want you to pick one of those guys and try to defend your decision between Thayer Thomas, Lucky Jackson and Cephas Johnson without looking up anything about them. Okay. I'm, I, I promise you I did not look anything up on this guy. Uh, I picked Lucky Jackson because I'm fairly positive. If I'm remembering an article I may have written at Bringing to Sports, uh, Lucky Jackson is the guy from the XFL, had a decent season in the XFL, and that's why they picked him up. 
And that's what I'm going to go with. And that's what I'm going to trust right now is my hunch. I did not go back and fact check whether that was true, but I'm going to go with the guy in the XFL because I want to see more XFL guys succeed. And it would be awesome to see the Vikings take a swing on a guy from the XFL and it work out because having more developmental leagues is going to be better for the sport. You're going to get better depth across the league and you're going to start to see some of these guys kind of break out in those leagues and come into the NFL. And I want to see that happen. So I'm going to go with Lucky Jackson because I think he's the guy from the XFL and that's where I'm going with. You are correct that he is the guy from the XFL. He also, I believe, wore number zero, which is just kind of cool. Awesome. And he played for the DC Defenders. Totally agree with you on uh, the idea of, um, you know, guys from these side leagues making it. I mean, you know that I love that stuff. Mm -hmm. When somebody who is complete underdog just shows up and, you know, out of nowhere kind of makes it. Um, Thayer Thomas went to NC State. And he was the mildly intriguing when uh, he was just, you know, running around out there in minicamp. And because there weren't other receivers there, um, you know, Jordan Addison and Justin Jefferson, Thayer Thomas got kind of some run, not with the first team, but we saw him make some plays at times. And he's kind of quick. Uh, he's kind of like an underneath receiver with a little bit of quickness. He's not big. He's like six foot, 200 sort of normal size. And he's not fast as in blazing fast. But he had good kind of quickness numbers and good jumping numbers, good traditional stats at NC State. Uh, he would be a good pick. But, I mean, if you were going to defend that decision without, like, knowing anything, you would just say that his name, like, his nickname could be Thayer the Slayer Thomas, right? <laughs> that, that's why, that would be a, a really good reason. Thayer yes. the Slayer Thomas would be, uh, would be pretty cool. And who was the other? Oh, Cephas Johnson. Cephas Johnson does not have any chance at all at becoming <laughs> anything right now because he is converting from quarterback and he is a very, very large guy, but he's just not like, he's not going to make the team. He's not going to shine enough with the details from route running and stuff. He really needs to be on a practice squad for a year and then see if he can develop those things throughout a season. If he shows any potential at all but his name is Cephas Johnson and he's huge. So that's kind of cool. And as we were talking about with Antoine Randall L, I love converted position players where this guy used to be a quarterback or this guy was a receiver and switched to quarterback. Always love those stories, which brings me to the next part of this question, which is who was your favorite surprise receiver from camp ever? I tried going back and finding surprise receivers. I guess the goat would, would for this question, for Vikings fans would be Adam Thielen because one of us and he became a pro bowler and became one of the best, better wide receivers in this franchise history that has a history of great wide receivers. So he's, he's the one that popped out right away, but I couldn't really think of many guys and I'm probably obviously missing some that were surprise camp hits, but uh, Thielen is the one for me um, just because I couldn't think of anybody else. Chad Beebe. How about Chad Beebe? <laughs> Chad Beebe didn't even have good college stats and he, and he wasn't even a UDFA signing initially. He was just a tryout guy and actually made the team and had a couple of moments, but then injuries being smaller. This is kind of what we talk about with Addison. Yeah. The biggest fear is that size and eventually just, you know, Chad Beebe got beat up. Uh, I think BC Johnson was another one who made the team out of camp as a seventh round pick and actually was out there uh, making plays for them. Remember that Detroit game where Thielen got hurt and BC mm -hmm. Johnson had to come in. He had a little bit of a run there where he was pretty good. 
and injuries again got to him as well. Both of those guys, uh, since I've been here, uh, two of the best sort of surprise wide receivers at the bottom half. How about though, this is much easier to think of a guy who you wanted to be super high on as a receiver and then just nothing just did not work out at all. Uh, can I go with German YouTube? Oh, absolutely. Moritz Bowringer. Sure. Yeah. Moritz Bowringer because he had some of the craziest combine numbers in the history of the NFL combine and just the nickname German YouTube because it just makes it seem like there's a different version of YouTube. And Rick Spielman sounded really old when he said that. So I wanted to see him succeed because German YouTube guy and he comes from one once again, a side league, a league in Europe, and you wanted to see that that play out and get those fans excited over there for a guy making it from their, from their country into the NFL. Love that pick. Uh, Thor brings up Charles Johnson as a surprise guy. And uh, that's, that was a little before me, but that's a, a definitely a good pick. I will go with, uh, I mean, I've got like seven of them. One was <laughs> Alexander Holland season where uh, people went crazy for Alexander Holland's not that anyone was actually in camp in 2020, but just that we were writing, he was standing out in camp. And then there was anger online. And this goes to time like with Sarah that, you know, grading anything by what people say online is probably not accurate, but the number of people who were asking me what they were doing because they cut Alexander Hollins. I was like, <laughs> uh, is this a, are they doing something wrong? Like, I don't know. Say, I mean, Marset last year is absurd. Like the guy, Clearly, he just couldn't really get down the playbook and stuff. I don't know. He was a late-round draft pick of the previous regime. I, did, was there something that I missed that he did that made you think there was something there? Uh, but it is fun, though. I'm not criticizing fans for this, though, because it's it's part of the fun of camp where you latch on to someone irrationally and hope that they become your guy. And my first-ever pick for Mr. Mankato was Isaac Frickty. <laughs> It was not a good pick. No. He came out in preseason games and dropped, I think, like the first three passes that got thrown his way <laughs> and was never to be seen again. Shout out to Isaac Frickty, though, because I think there was a comment by Mike Zimmer in minicamp where he's like, yeah, I really like how Isaac Frickty's coming along or something. I was like, oh, okay, Mr. Mankato, let's go. And I horribly wrong, horribly, horribly wrong. So don't ever follow my predictions on anything because that's pretty bad. That is pretty bad. But Hollins, Hollins was the weird one because I, I I would get it if there were preseason games and someone stood out and then everyone went like, oh, the guy was great in preseason. Why didn't he get a chance? But there weren't even preseason games. And yet there was still some rage about Alexander Hollins making. I think it was because they kept Chad Beebe maybe and nobody wanted Chad Beebe. So I guess that might must have been it. But that is certainly one of my favorite parts of training camp is uh, picking the late round guys. So I'm excited to do, you know, Mr. Mankato. We're going to continue the previews in fun ways, mostly asking questions about, um, you know, these different positions and things like that. So keep an eye on the feed and we'll have, you know, these positions, couple of different one-off episodes going forward. And we're just, you know, we're just days away here. I mean, the, the whole team gets on the field, I think the 26th. And uh, we'll be out there as always. So thanks for your time, Jonathan. Thanks everybody for watching, commenting, participating. And uh, we will definitely be back at, at very least next Tuesday. And I think we need some sort of hardcore, preposterously long, absurd, outrageous training camp preview the night before. Or maybe I'm committing to something I shouldn't. But uh, 
like like seven hour no stop stream every question that anyone could ever ask about training camp and uh you have to produce the whole thing so i just signed you up for that all right sounds good i'm in all right thanks everybody for uh watching slash listening and uh we'll catch y'all later